Hi, I'm lead pastor, Noel Peepgrass. Welcome to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. You're welcome to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. All right. Yeah, so uh, we are in Matthew chapter 9, aren't we? Uh, we? Megan tried to tell me we're halfway through with the book of Matthew. We're not halfway through with the book of Matthew. We're about a third of the way through uh, the book of Matthew. And I'm not a math teacher, but I'm good enough to know that, that 9 is about one-third of 28. Uh, and uh, today we're going to talk about how Jesus picked his team. It, uh, it reminded me of uh, some of my experiences in P.E., you know, when it's dodgeball time, and uh, I don't know, some of you maybe have, you know, fond memories of picking your teams. I I was told in in, uh, PE teacher education programs that you should never let the kids pick their own teams, because then that poor kid that gets picked last will feel terrible about themselves. So I'm sorry this morning if you're one of those that got picked last. Um, I I sometimes flip the script on students. Uh, When we pick teams, I let them pick the team for the other team. So you, you, you bring up the two captains, and then you're like, okay, Johnny, now you pick Joe's team. That's always interesting. Uh, but but the, uh, the main thing, you know, is that, uh, as it applies today, sometimes Jesus picked first the people that we might think should be picked last. And that's one of the things that we're going to see in today's story about the calling of Matthew. Uh, you know, last week we learned uh, how, how Jesus has come to bring freedom from our sin. We saw that in the story of the healing of the paralytic. Um, And we also saw in that story a controversy about who can forgive sins. Jesus' idea that he would would grant forgiveness of sins, he alone, that was pretty controversial. Uh, The the Bible teachers that were there watching, they didn't approve of that. So Jesus came, he brought freedom, and he also started some controversy. Uh, This week in uh, chapter 9, we're going to see um, a new freedom that Jesus brings, social freedom, or uh, freedom from separatism. And I, I tried all week to find a different word for separatism, but I, I couldn't find a, a different word that I, that I liked. Uh, but separatism is like sec- segregation or apartheid, I guess. That's what it was called in South Africa. It's this idea that you gotta stay away from the bad people, right? And Jesus came to bring us freedom from that idea, social freedom, but in so doing, he started another controversy, and today we're going to see the Pharisees, they did not like Jesus' idea of social freedom, and they were like, Jesus, why are you hanging out with people like that? So anyway, uh, like I said, Jesus, uh, he picks the people first that, that we would seem to probably pick last, and uh, there's three groups who argue with Jesus in chapter 9. We're going to see some more freedoms and some more controversies as we go. There's three groups of people that argue with Jesus in chapter 9, but they're probably not the groups that we would have expected. We might have, if we were there, have picked these groups first, actually. The Bible teachers, right? Wouldn't that be your first pick if you were playing spiritual dodgeball? Bible teachers first, no? Wouldn't, they'd, they'd have to go at least in the you know, second round. Not last, for sure. How about the Pharisees? See, the Pharisees, we, uh, we kind of think of Pharisee as like a swear word. It's like calling somebody a dirty name. 
But the Pharisees were super serious spiritually. I'm going to try and use the phrase uh, spiritually serious when I refer to the Pharisees because I want us to understand that in our spiritual seriousness, sometimes we act like the Pharisees. We can be like the Pharisees. And then the third group we're going to see uh, in the week after next, uh, once we get into the summer, middle of June, the third group that kind of uh, argued with Jesus was John the Baptist's disciples. These seem like they certainly should be the good guys, right? I mean, JTB, his disciples, like, they should be the good guys, right? But even they had some arguments with Jesus. So anyway, long story short, as we get into this, I, I want you guys to see that Jesus gives believers a freedom that, that won't go uncontested by religious people. And uh, we should remember that uh, we got to fight for some of those freedoms too. Or we got to try not to be the religious people that are bonding or are trying to keep people in bondage to law. Jesus came so that we'd be set free, not so that we'd be bound to the law. Also, I uh, wanted just to highlight the fact that this story is told by Mark and Luke. I don't know if you knew this, but Mark, Luke, and Matthew are sometimes referred to as the synoptic gospels. So we have four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're at the start of our version of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic the synoptic gospels because they have a lot of the same stories. So I think synoptic means like same, a lot of the same stories. So you can always like cross-reference. So this story that we're going to study today, it's also in, in Mark and Luke. Uh, also, uh, this story is a bit, it can be paralleled to Matthew chapter four. We studied that like eight months ago. Matthew chapter four is when Jesus called the fishermen, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, James and John. It's a really, uh, it's a really similar story to today's story, the calling of Matthew, referred to as Levi in, in Mark and Luke. It's similar because in each case, Jesus calls these men right in the middle of their work. Can you imagine Jesus calling you right in the middle of your work? Come follow me, is what he says, right? So in each case, he calls these men right in the middle of their work. And then in each case, they obey immediately. Immediately. This is in contrast to the hasty teacher that we studied in chapter 8, right? The hasty teacher said, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, I'm homeless, so come along. And we're led to believe that the hasty teacher had trouble with that. How am I supposed to follow a homeless guy? And then the hesitant son, right? He had something to do first, didn't he? He wanted to bury his father before he came and followed. So this story today and the story in Matthew chapter 4, we see immediate obedience. These guys dropped whatever they were doing, and they followed Jesus right away. There's something for us to learn in their example but what can we learn about Jesus in this story? That's the question I want to ask you today. What can we learn? What do we learn about Jesus in this story of the calling of Matthew? So let's start with, uh, and Cooper, you can go to the slide that I made that has really cool graphics. The next slide, Coop. So I, I have three, uh, three ways that I want to uh, talk about uh, this passage. I'm going to start by call, talking about the call of Matthew. And then I'm going to talk about the controversy that ensued. And then we're going to talk about the charge, the final charge that Jesus gives in this passage. So it says in verse 9, Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. See, I told you already, Jesus picks first who we would pick last, right? Matthew, a tax collector. He was a tax collector, not just a CPA, not someone that helped you pay your taxes. He was a tax collector. 
See, Rome had a vast empire at this time, right? They'd conquered all these people. And the Romans were smart. They knew that if uh, they sent a Roman in to rule the land, that that might not work so well. You know, conquered peoples don't like being ruled by their conquerors. You know what I'm saying? And so what Rome did, they bought off Jewish people to enforce their rules in that territory. So we see this, for example, King Herod. He was a Jew, right? But he, had been, he was being paid by the Romans to rule his own people. And in this case, Matthew, a tax collector, he was working for the Romans. So Matthew would have been among, like, just imagine your best friend going to work for the dark side, whoever the dark side is for you. And tax collectors in that day, they, uh, they were in charge of keeping track of records. They were in charge, like they had jurisdiction to charge their taxes. So they knew what Rome wanted to receive from them, but they were li literally receiving the money and passing it on to Rome. And the practice was for many tax collectors was to collect extra and keep it for themselves, right? So these people, these tax collectors were like the worst of the worst. The Jews hated these people. They were like the, the vilest offenders. That's a, that's a phrase from an old hymn that, that came to mind this morning. The tax collectors were the worst of the worst. So the calling of Matthew teaches us that, according to uh, John Calvin, he says it this way. He said, the calling of us all depends not on the merits of our own righteousness, but on his sheer generosity. If you go watch The Chosen, I've been encouraging you to, to take a look. Uh, it's a cool, there's a cool scene in The Chosen where Jesus calls Matthew. And it is such an act of sheer generosity on Jesus' behalf to extend a call to Matthew. And he would have taken a lot of heat for this call, right? So here's Jesus, chapter 8. He's healing the leper, the social outcast, right? He's, he's uh, healing the Roman centurion's daughter. They're like, no, Jesus, that person oppresses us. You can't heal his daughter or his son. Sorry, it's a son in that story, right? Um, and now here we see him calling Matthew. Jesus even, uh, he even healed mother-in-laws, right? So even mother-in-laws were, were, were brought in to Jesus' community. I heard a great joke about that uh, today because Peter's mother-in-law, was the, uh, was the one healed by Jesus in chapter 8. And uh, someone asked me this week, you know why um, Peter denied the Christ three times? <laughs> you would too if he healed your mother-in-law. <laughs> oh man, that was funny. Anyway, okay, that has nothing to do with today's teaching, but I'm just trying to get you to laugh a little bit. Yeah, so one of the other things that we learn in this story is that one only needs to have faith, the kind of faith for which you would drop everything and follow in order to be with Jesus, right? Matthew didn't deserve to be with Jesus. He was the worst of the worst. Betraying God's people day after day, getting rich off their poverty. And yet Jesus walks by and he calls him. The call of Jesus is all about his generosity. It's not one bit about our own righteousness. It wasn't about Matthew's righteousness. Uh, this, this story of, of Matthew being called it was considered by the early church uh, like one of the great miracles. So we've seen, all, we're, or we're seeing uh, these miracles of Jesus, right? These healings of Jesus, the different ways that he moved in power over the storm, casting out demons. And this story gets inserted right here in chapter 8 and chapter 9. We've seen, there's 10 miracles that we're going to study. This is a bit of an annex to that, but the early church considered the calling of Matthew just as much a miracle as those other stories. So the point is simple. 
No one is beyond redemption in Jesus' kingdom. Hey, if you came this morning and you feel like you're an outsider, you have the chance to be brought in through faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter if you know all the Bible verses. It doesn't matter if you've obeyed all his laws perfectly. You can be brought in to the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. Just like Matthew was. See, Jesus transformed sinners into saints. Matthew was a tax collector, but uh, Jesus turned him into an evangelist. We see later on in this story, what does he do? As soon as Jesus calls him, he invites all his sinful friends to a dinner at his house, right? This is what you do if you're a new convert. You come to meet Jesus. You tell all your friends, come meet the man who set me free, right? Matthew did this, so he was a great evangelist. He was a disciple. Matthew wrote this book, we think. He was an apostle. He goes from sinner to saint in Jesus. He shows that, uh, that, that converts make the best evangelists. And it's so true. If, you, if you're new to faith in Jesus, now's the time to start sharing your faith. If you're new to faith in Jesus, don't wait till you learn it all. Right now, in your excitement. Right? You're probably only going to get more spiritually serious. Now's the time to share your faith in Jesus. Bring your sinful friends to dine with Jesus, just like Matthew uh, did. So, this idea of dining with the sinners, you know, and I, I keep, I need air quotes, and these won't be caught on loan, but online, sorry, but, but air quotes, sinners, right? The sinners, those that in that day they looked down upon. These are the people that Matthew brought to Jesus. So here's Jesus having dinner with the sinners. This is what started the controversy. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So fact, number one, Jesus hung out with the ungodly. So much so that he was labeled a glutton and a drunk. They called Jesus a glutton and a drunk because he, hang, he hung out with the ungodly. So we should observe and copy that, not the gluttony and the drunkard part, but we should observe Jesus' characteristic to hang out with sinners, okay? And mind you, Jesus was not a glutton or a drunk, but he hung out with the gluttons and the drunkards. If we're to be salt and light, like we learned about in Matthew chapter 5, if we're going to be the salt and light of the world, we got to be around the spiritually needy. If a dish already has salt on it, you don't want to put salt on it. You put salt on the dish that isn't salty enough, right? If the room already has light, more light doesn't help. You put light in a dark room. we got to be around the spiritually needy if we're going to be the salt and the light. So why is this controversial? Why is it controversial? Why do the Pharisees have such a hard time? Well, see, the Pharisees, they knew the Bible. They knew their Hebrew Bible super well. Like, lest we put them down too much, remember, these were the best of the best. They knew the law, they kept the law better than any Jew. So these were people that, that would have been looked up to by the, by the crowds, right, by the rest of the Jews. They were so serious about it. They knew the Bible really well. See, and it, there seems to be a tension. If you really know scripture, there does seem to be a bit of a tension between this idea of being with the ungodly and staying clean, staying separated from the ungodly, right? Isaiah 52, and I, I won't 
I won't quote every passage I could quote, but Isaiah 52 says, touch no unclean thing. Remember the Jews had all kinds of laws about what would make them unclean, right? If you ate pork, unclean. If you talked to a Gentile, a Samaritan, unclean. So they were very aware. This was a separatist culture. They lived life in segregation. Don't touch the Gentiles. Don't touch the Samarians, whoever it was. You had to be clean, right? So that was, that was uh, Isaiah 52, touch no unclean things. Psalm 1 says it this way. This will probably resonate a little bit more with us. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Psalm 26, I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. You're like, Noel, that's Old Testament, right? That's Old Testament. We get to ignore the entire Old Testament, right? No, because Jesus didn't ignore the entire Old Testament. So Jesus would have believed all these things to be true. So there's a tension here. Jesus would have believed all the, all the verses that I just read, Jesus believed. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it, right? So Jesus would have believed all these things. So how do we understand this? 2 Corinthians 6 even, the writings of Paul, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. That's what it says. For what, uh, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Verse 17, therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. So you're starting to see why there is such controversy, right? This is why the Pharisees had a bit of a trouble with Jesus and what he was up to, okay? So what is Jesus demonstrating here by being with these outsiders? We, we see the teaching of the Hebrew Bible seems to be like separatism. Stay clean. So who's right? Scripture, the Hebrew Bible, or Jesus? Who's right? Scripture or Jesus? The, the two things seem at odds, but they can't be. They can't be at odds because Jesus told us they weren't at odds. He said, remember, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So somehow in Jesus, we have the right way, the new, the fresh way to fulfill the Old Testament law. So these two things, they can't be at odds. So let's take a look at Jesus' arguments in this debate. So first, and I love this, so Jesus is going to use a common sense argument, and then he's going to use a scriptural uh, argument. I think it's kind of neat because sometimes as like the spiritually serious, we go right to the Bible thumping, right? We go Bible thumping right away when we want to really convince somebody. We're like, it says, thus saith the Lord. We always use our King James voice, right? Jesus first went to common sense. It's really uh, interesting. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. That was the first thing Jesus said. See, just as physical needs are uh, a prerequisite for healing, so too are spiritual needs a prerequisite for salvation. Are the Pharisees healthy and righteous? Are they healthy and righteous? Or is Jesus just being facetious? He used those words to describe them, right? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, he says. So are the Pharisees healthy? Or is he just being sarcastic with them? I think the bottom line is that no man is without sin, right? None of us is without sin. None is righteous. Even the most righteous person you could imagine in that day, the spiritually serious Pharisees is not without sin. Because of our human condition, we have this sin nature. Even, it doesn't mean that all we do is sin. It doesn't mean that, that it, there's no good in us. But it means that we have this flaw that keeps us from being able to perfectly live according to the law of God. So even like the best of us, the most righteous one of us, is sinful. 
and separate from God. See, like I said uh, multiple times already, the Pharisees were the most righteous uh, Jews of that day. They were revered by the people for their strict, serious adherence to the law of Moses. In Jesus' words, I think they are the uh, disgustingly healthy, right? They're healthy and they're proud about it. Maybe they're kind of like the healthy person who, who puts pictures of their kale shakes on Instagram. I don't know, but they're, they're disgustingly healthy. Sorry, Zach, that wasn't a shot at you, buddy. I, that wasn't a shot at you, Zach. I, I... <laughs> Zach's getting his healthy on right now. He's doing a great job. The problem with the Pharisees is not their health or their righteousness. The problem with the Pharisees is their self-sufficiency. It's not their righteousness that's the problem. It's their pride that's the problem. If you think that you've gotten it all right, that's the problem. Their righteousness, it's become like the plank in their eye. You know, from that passage we taught just a, a few weeks back, their righteousness has become like the plank in the eye. It prohibits them from seeing the situation rightly. They've built up this plank of righteousness and it's lodged in their eyes so that they cannot see what's actually going on. They built their whole case, not on their need for Jesus, but on their own righteousness. Anytime we build up our whole case on our own righteousness, we've got a plank in our eye. We're missing the point. We can't see it rightly. So Jesus started with this common sense argument. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You've got to be sick in order to Jesus. In order to need Jesus, sorry. But secondly, Jesus goes to a biblical argument in verse 13. See, he knows that the spiritually serious Pharisees, they need more than just common sense. <laughs> if, if you ever get so smart that you need more than common sense, you've reached this level of seriousness. So he obliges them. You gotta love Jesus. He meets us where we're at. Sinner and saint, Jesus meets us right where we're at. He meets you right where you're at. It's crazy. Super cool thing about Jesus he always uh, steps down to our level, so to speak. So if you're going to win an argument with the spiritually serious, Jesus would have known best of anybody. You have to go to Scripture for your proof, right? And, and in this, Jesus shows us that common sense arguments are okay, like permission to use common sense as an argument, but they got to line up with Scripture, right? Common sense never refutes Scripture. So Jesus starts with common sense, and then he goes to Scripture, okay? And Scripture will have the final say, in this story. So here we go, the charge. And we're going to see the biblical argument in his final charge, verse 13. And here the controversy will be quelled. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus came to inaugurate a kingdom of mercy, not just a kingdom of religious ritual. And we too, like, here's the charge. We must learn. That mercy is greater than sacrifice. I thought a little bit this week, like, what is, okay, sacrifice. All I think about when I think of sacrifice is, like, what I have to give up. I need to lay down my life. I need to sacrifice for the needs of the team, right? That's what I think of. But here, sacrifice is equal to religious observance. Sacrifice is equal to anything, any, like, ritual that you would perform. So in a sense, like, it was... Uh, probably for them, it was, it was literally offering animal sacrifices, right? Those were their religious rituals, but potentially it was participating in fasts. It was giving of alms, prayer. All these things aren't bad things at all. They're good things, but they can become rituals, right? And any time we do them just as a ritual, they lose all importance. Jesus is not after our rituals. 
He's after our mercy. So here, sacrifice is equal to religious observance. See, ritual observance, it's an act of the will. But Jesus doesn't just want our will. He wants our heart. And that's where mercy comes in. Mercy, forgiveness. It's an identification with others. It, see, sometimes our ritual observation separates us from others, right? Clean, unclean. Don't eat the pork. Don't hang out with Gentiles. Our ritual observance can separate us from others. But our mercy builds empathy. Empathy, sorry, I have a hard time saying that word. Our mercy builds empathy with others. Jesus wants heart, not willpower. He wants your humanity, not just your spirituality. See, toward God, the serious were generous. They were generous with all the ritual uh, observances, alms, prayer, fasting, sacrifice, etc. But towards people, they were stingy, so stingy towards people. Scripture teaches us that God prefers, in this instance, God saying generosity towards people is better. We should already know this, the greatest commandment, right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. They're equal in God's economy. Mercy and sacrifice. Jesus commands, um, they are so much more difficult to obey than the Hebrew law. Just stop and think about this. How easy is it to go and offer a sacrifice? All that, all that requires is your will to go do it. All it requires is a physical act. You know what's really hard? Giving mercy to someone that you have the right to punish. That's hard. Giving mercy to somebody who's wronged you. That's hard. The ways of Jesus are so much harder. See, I think the, the, the spiritually serious, they actually were like, no, Jesus, you're, what do you, you're, like, you're like lowering your standard. Jesus wasn't lowering his standard. He was raising his standard. Mercy is greater than sacrifice. So the call here for the Christian, our charge is to obey Jesus' law of mercy, to extend mercy towards others. The other thing I think we're, we're charged to do here is to understand that we are just as much the outsider as Matthew was. We are just as much the outsider as Matthew was. If we read these stories and we see the spiritually serious over here, right, them, right, and then the sinners over here, we're missing the whole point. We're on both sides. Sometimes we're, we're overly spiritually serious, just like the Pharisees. Sometimes we're just like Matthew, betraying our own people. We have to see ourselves in these stories. We're just as much sinners as the serious, and we're just as much outsiders as Matthew was. But here's good news. Jesus says, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In Ephesians 2, uh, Paul says this, you'll recognize this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. So who is an outsider? Everyone is an outsider. We were all enemies of God, and he's brought us in. So we have to put ourselves, like we're just like the spiritually serious sometimes, we're just like Matthew the outsider sometimes. you got to see yourself in this story. you got to see yourself in this story. 
See, if Jesus has only come for the bad and not the good, then we must either become bad, which that doesn't sound right, does it? (laughs) Or instead, realize that we're not so good. Let me say that again. If Jesus has only come for the bad, if he's only come for the bad and not at all for the good, then either we got to become bad so we can have Jesus, or we have to recognize that we're not so good. See, the heart of the gospel is to recognize our own sin. The heart of the gospel is to recognize our own sickness. If you're healthy, you don't need the great physician. You got to be needy to get to Jesus. Being with the wrong people uh, for the right reasons, this was Jesus' way. That's one of the things that we learn in this passage. Being with the wrong people for the right reasons is Jesus' way. And uh, in case you missed it, you're the wrong people. We're the wrong people. I'm so glad that he was with us. I'm so glad that he's made a way to be in relationship with us by coming. The heart of the gospel is found in, in these last two verses. We have to recognize our own sickness. If we think we're healthy without a need for a doctor, Jesus will not be our savior. Key number one to the gospel is to know your own sinfulness, your neediness. Remember, just like I said last week, faith is needy. Faith is needy. It took a paralyzed man to have his friends lower him down through the roof, right? And we're like, oh, look at the faith of those people. And the driver of their faith was their own need. We have to recognize our own neediness. The spiritually serious Pharisees, see, they didn't recognize fully their need. They didn't recognize that they need mercy. They didn't recognize that they're not perfectly capable of keeping the law. That they, in themselves, were enemies of God. We've got to recognize our own sin if we're going to follow Jesus. See, isn't Jesus great? I, I, like, I have so fallen in love with the person and character of Jesus as we studied these stories. Uh, see, Jesus is not, he's not, like, starchy and uptight. Like, I think, I think I grew up with that Jesus a little bit. Like, the Jesus, like, sits straight. I don't know, there's goodness about my piety or, you know, the, the way I was raised to have reverence before the Lord and all that. But it was like, you know, front row, sit up straight, don't talk. Get your act together, you know. And I had great parents, so I can only imagine, you know. But Jesus isn't starchy. He's not uptight. He's not a Karen or an overzealous policeman. (laughs) That was for the kids. Jesus is the great physician. He's come to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve. To bestow on them, it says this Isaiah 61, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This is what Jesus came to do. He's not uptight. He's not trying to zap us. Mercy is greater than sacrifice. So you see Jesus' invitation to come and follow him, it's an invitation for us to step out of bondage and into freedom, to step out of sickness and into health, to step out of death and into life. This is the invitation of Jesus. That sounds good, right? 
That's not, like, Karen's not offering any of that. Sorry, Karen. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean you. You know what I'm talking about. So uh, this morning, you know, um, I don't know if there's anyone here this morning who uh, has not really ever decided to give their life to Jesus and follow him. Maybe this morning, someone here is like Matthew, standing in that tax collector's booth, betraying their people. I don't know, whatever your version of betrayal is. We all have ours, don't we? But this morning, I think there's an invitation to uh, leave that old way of life behind and to follow Jesus. Like on the spot this morning, don't be the, the hesitant son who's got to go bury his father first. Don't be the hasty teacher who, who's asking all kinds of questions and decides not to follow. Like you could decide this morning to, like Matthew, leave behind the life of betrayal and step into a life of betrothal. Betrothal, engagement, marriage to the bridegroom, Jesus. You could leave betrayal for betrothal this morning. And if you've never made that decision or that commitment, however you want to say it, prayed that prayer, that's how we used to talk about it when I was a kid. If you've never made the decision, however you want to say it, to drop everything and follow Jesus, this morning, today is your day. And look, hey, if you've made that commitment before to follow Jesus, but you've strayed, and I don't know your story, but if you feel like you've strayed, Today is your chance to drop everything and follow Jesus. If you've been spiritually serious, like the Pharisees were, but in your passion neglected the greater gift of mercy for the lesser gift of ritual, today is your day to come to Jesus, to drop everything, to leave the life you're currently in and follow him on the spot. Today's your day. Let's pray. Yeah, God, I'm, like, thank you for picking me. Like, your dodgeball team didn't need me, Lord. And you still picked me because you wanted to play with me. And uh, it's so powerful. I just pray that that'd be really true in our hearts right now. We, we often feel unpicked. We often feel unqualified, unallowed to have relationship with you, Lord. And uh, man, this morning, I, I pray that we would be like Matthew, that we would see you walking by and hear your call, simple, follow me. And we would have the courage that Matthew had in faith, in his neediness, to say yes and follow you, Lord. And uh, even like right now, you guys, uh, just like with eyes closed and heads bowed, I just want to offer the opportunity, like uh, today's your day. If, if you've heard these words this morning and you're like, I want to follow Jesus, I, I just invite you right now just to make like a small physical act, just like shake your head right where you're at. Like I've heard these words of Jesus this morning and I want to follow him. Yeah. Today's your day. Today's your day. We're going to respond here uh, in a few different ways. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. Uh, we're going to come forward and uh, remember what Jesus did for us at the, uh, at the table here. You can come forward for prayer. You're always welcome to come forward for prayer. If you've, like, if you've recognized that, well, if you've recognized that, that you need to 
drop everything and follow Jesus in a new way today, you can come forward for prayer. I'll be right up here. But let's not, like, let's not just keep on going the way that we're, we've been going. Let's take the opportunity in faith, wherever we're at, to say today's the day. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to drop everything. And I'm going to accept his invitation. Thank you, God. Amen.